You're listening to the Freedom House Podcast. We're a house that will empower you in your walk with Christ to get free, live free, and set others free. This is our Sunday service series. For more information, go to FHUS.org. Enjoy. It may end up becoming an everlasting series, but hallelujah, we'll try to keep it to the point called the process of the kingdom. And so one of the things that Jesus said is go out into all the world and do what? Create crowds? No, he said, go and make what? Disciples, right? Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And so it's very important for us as uh, uh, followers of Jesus that we don't just follow him with a crowd mentality, but with a discipleship mentality, as well as we have to be looking for opportunities ourselves to be discipling other people. What does that mean? It means that uh, very important to even what Pastor Wendy was talking about. What are you living for? Do you lay down your life? Do you invest yourself in people that are followers of Jesus? And even as Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And I think sometimes even in the church, I believe actually many pastors actually don't know how to disciple people. What they know how to do is architect stages and not necessarily architect churches. And sometimes there's a difference in the mentality as an itinerant minister. I literally could honestly say that when I came here, I don't know how many, almost going on two dozen years ago, or, you know, a dozen years, 16 years ago, 16 years ago, thank you, <laughs> that um, as an itinerant guy, I went in and I blessed churches, but really it was them bringing me in, standing up on the stage and blessing the people with the gift or with the grace, the anointing that was upon my life. Well, how many know when you go and you begin to pastor, it's a whole different animal altogether, Jesus did not primarily disciple people by saying, come Sunday morning and hear a 45-minute sermon from me, okay? It was about men following him, families following him, women following him, and in this process of doing life together, even as we've seen in the video, being added to the church, that's how discipleship happens. It happens in person. Why? Because this is where divine exchanges happen, I don't know how many times you'll just have a free flow of the Holy Spirit with those whom you call your disciples. In fact, this terminology is not even used in the church. Like, here's my disciple. Like, I can confidently say, like with Adam Chan, Teacher Chan, I'd say he's a disciple of mine. Usually within Christian American culture, we don't even, that literal uh, 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 vernacular is not used in the Christian church today to be able to recognize by which you can see they're a disciple of somebody, by which also it's not just an impartation of your ethics and morals, but also your anointing. And listen, it doesn't mean that they're going to be cookie cutter like you. I'm a missional type of a guy. He's a teacher type of a guy. And you can obviously tell when he stands behind the pulpit, he's not a cookie cutter of me. And I'm not looking to make cookie cutters of me. What I'm looking to do is leave my legacy in the next generation. So that my anointing goes into somebody, no matter how God hardwires or how God uh, uh, puts that person together, my anointing can live in that teaching office. Come on, are you here? And so it's not making clones. And sometimes in the church, what we're doing is looking to make clones rather than disciples. And sometimes we uh, leave that to, well, here's a video on what we believe or, you know, come to a membership class or whatever it is. And we expect our systems within the church to do discipleship. When Jesus didn't say, go out into all the world, create a good system within the church to disciple people. No, we are called to disciple people because we are to engage with people and it pour out into their life. Come on, are you here? I know this is Sunday morning, but I'm preaching better than you're responding. 
So let's look at this, this process of discipleship. The first thing that we need to know is when we're talking about discipline, say discipline. discipline. That's not a cuss word. Okay, sometimes in the church, we're thinking this is a cuss word. Now, when we're talking about it, when we're talking about discipline in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 to 27, it says, do you not know, and this is the Apostle Paul speaking, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Notice this, run in such a way as to what? Get a prize. So in other words, what does a runner do? He trains. I come from a triathlon background. You are very focused on training. In, in fact, you almost come into this zen-like uh, uh, in your training, in your methodology, because you're so uh, laser-focused on it. And so the Apostle Paul is illuminating this. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not, what, last. But we do it, say we do it. We do it. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, or in consequence of this fact that he just enumerated right here, I do not run like someone just running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer just beating the air. No, watch this. I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So I want you to see the Apostle Paul is an advocate of you living a disciplined life. And discipline is a good thing in all areas of life, but I'm going to show you that discipline in the kingdom is different than discipline here on planet Earth. And in fact, we find in the book of Romans, it says this in chapter 8, verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will do what? You will live. So we often think of simply disciplining our body, which here is in the original Greek is called soma only. But the discipline that we're talking about is not limited only to the body. And let me say this too with Corinth. I want you to take into consideration that this discipline that he is advocating for the believers at Corinth were actually, I would say this, post-deliverance Christians. Did you just hear what I just said? We live in a culture that says, just come to Jesus, and they do come to Jesus. They're saved. They're going to heaven, but they ain't actually delivered. So they're trying to beat their body as slaves. And so the apostle Paul, when he went to Corinth, he said, I didn't come to you with mere enticing words of men's wisdom, but in power and demonstration of the spirit. Certainly, these are people that under the ministry of the apostle Paul or the evangelists that were there, we know that they were driving out demons and healing the sick. So when he is advocating discipline yourself, he's not advocating you discipline yourself as a slave or pre-delivered Christian. This is the advice of, uh, to those who would have been post-deliverance Christians, meaning now that you've been set free from the chains of demonic oppression and all these things, here's what you do to stay free. Now, why is this important? And this is an important message, again, because this is the, menace, uh, the ministry and the message of first entrance. God first sets you free, and then he requires you, and he demands of you, and places an obligation that you must live a disciplined life. I've met many that were disciplined, but they weren't set, they weren't set free. 
I've told you one time of one particular man, all he could see is himself fornicating. And when, when the power of God hit him, he was set free. He no longer had those visions. Why did that happen? Because his life, even though he was saved, even though he was going to, uh, going to heaven, he was bound up. And when the power of God set him free from that, now he can live a life disciplining, blowing his body. Why? Because he's set free. This is why I say, oftentimes you really have to nuance the scripture and ask yourself questions. The advice that the apostle Paul, that he's given, is he given this to a seeker-sensitive church type of culture and mentality, or those who believed in the power of the Holy Spirit, at what point in the church did it come and set people free, by which he's advising them to live this way? Are you here? Is this too deep for you? Come on, are you here? The point is, is all these things that he's talking about strict uh, trading is possible for those who have been set free by the power of God. He's not asking them to do something because sometimes what happens is the pastor, oh, you know, I got a problem in this particular area or I got a problem in this. I got a particular vice in here. And when they end up going through freedom in Christ, they're set free. And it's all of a sudden now interesting. They have the ability to be able to live the disciplined life in Christ. And everyone says... Let's look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. So here's the verse discipline, the blows to the body. And these are the obvious ones. This is the baseline for the Christian faith. It says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Say obvious. obvious. Okay, that means they're easily discernible. You don't need a gift of the Spirit called the discerning of spirits to figure this one out. All you need is two eyeballs. That's it. Okay, you don't even have to be a Christian to be this one. They're obvious. It says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality. Every type of immorality that there is. What's the only perfect sexual relationship? That which God ordains in covenants between a husband and a wife. Everything outside of that is strictly forbidden. Come on, are you here? I know I'm in Santa Cruz, but please help your pastor today. Say it, amen. I know we have people coming in the Freedom House and say, are you that type of Freedom House? No, we're not that type of Freedom House because we don't want to end up being a bound house. We don't believe in all that kinky stuff and weird and all this sexual dysphoria and all these things because we believe what the Bible does uh, 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 advocates sexual purity and there's actually freedom in that. And listen, if you're an addict, I can, we can help you with that. We can set you free. There's probably all kinds of things that are occupying your domain right now. And by the authority and by the power of Jesus, you can be set free from that. But once you've been set free from that, you have to have corresponding, this is now how I live. In order to glorify God, I keep my pants on. Is this too much for Sunday morning? Young guys, keep your pants on. Don't go dating, and the only people you date is the one you intend to marry. This whole philosophy, well, I'm kicking the tires. That's the mentality. You think women are tires. You think they're property. That's your problem. You ain't going to get married, and you're unfit to get married if that's your mentality. Well, we just got to shack up and figure this thing out. No, don't shack up. You can't even live with yourself. Learn to live with yourself alone before you sit there and live with somebody else. Mm, it's not part of my notes. That's for free. If, that, if my words would have came out and came, I'd be like, okay, I would have stayed on this point. But the very fact you're like, amen, it means I think for the most part, I hope so, you're keeping your pants up. And everyone says, yes, in your eyes, where they belong, amen. All right, let's go on. <laughs> Sexual immorality, impurity. Okay, or uncleanness, 
Here's one, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. Again, these are the things that are actually obvious. How about this one, discord? What does that mean? That means quarreling, wrangling, contention. In other words, when you walk, uh, when, when you walk in the door, does everybody feel like they got to walk on eggshells around you? It's usually a spirit of strife that is there. Okay, here's the next one. There's also jealousy. That Greek word is zelos. Okay, it's where we get the word zeal. How about fits of rage? Hello. Just always ah, flipping out. If you're flipping out, start apologizing to people. Maybe you got an anger spirit. I told you that was something that I actually got delivered from. And oftentimes it's used as a type of manipulations because you're out of control. So in order to control situations, you flip out and you'll do it for the littlest thing. Okay. So if you have fits of anger where you blow up, listen, it's not good. It's not okay. It's not a fruit of the spirit. I'm I'm feeling a little stall right here. Hmm? Out in public, you flip out. Then look around. Is anybody seeing me? It's awfully quiet in here in this Presbyterian church. That word rage, you know what the word rage is? It's the word, yeah, the word rage. Thermos. It's where we get the word thermos to keep things hot. Are you always hot, hot-headed? We say hot-headed. Well, that's just my personality. No, it's not your personality. It's your personality that got your family that had that demon. The demon's now inside of you. So it is part of your family inheritance, but it's an inheritance you don't need. Get free from that, but then learn that this is not okay. Now, because you lived in that type of an environment and because that spirit, that's the way it had its manifestation in you, now once that spirit is gone, you now have to live a different lifestyle. Boy, it's awfully quiet in this point. All right. So fits of rage. How about this? Selfish ambition. Okay. This is why even within this generation... You can see that oftentimes when your little child becomes the center of the world, this is played to where it creates toxic level. When those kids get older, it creates toxic levels of selfish ambition. Because you created a world by which everything revolves around them. It never revolved around, listen, how about Joshua? He says, as for me and my house, we will do what? Serve the Lord. And you have to understand, this is Joshua who successfully went through three stages. He was delivered from Egypt. Not even Moses himself went into the promised land. So he goes from the first place, Egypt. He successfully goes through the wanderings in the wilderness and then goes into his promised land. And when he successfully goes through all three places, why was it? It's because for me and my family, my world does not revolve around my family. It revolves around the will of God. But we have a culture that has arisen. And even during the 90s, there was this kind of competition between two philosophy, between baby wise and kids CEO, or I forget the names of the other, where it became, the world revolved around the child. Again, it creates toxic levels of selfish ambition by which they think the world revolves around them rather than no, as for me and my household, this is what we're going to do. We're going to follow the Lord. It's he who does the will of God.
is the one who's going to be successful in this life. Come on, are you here? You got to teach your children that you didn't become a family when they arrived. You are a family before they arrived. That was one word of advice a pastor said. Here's the most important thing I can tell you. You have to instill in them that they're coming into a family that already existed. The world does not revolve, and now you are a family because they showed up. Are you here? That's how you teach them and train them. This is why they flip out all the time. Why? They're full of selfish ambition, and they don't get their way because the world revolved around them. There's no level of nobility, of Christian nobility, is that I live for something greater than myself. This is why the old school Christians, amongst the the great generation, not just within Christian values, but even in national values and things like that. That's the reason why they went to war. They figured, I'm living for something that is greater than myself. Whether you agree or not, they lived for something and poured out their life for something greater than themselves. We need those old school values today. And again, it's not just a national virtue or value. It's a Christian value and virtue. And everyone says. Now notice this. Selfish ambition. How about dissensions? This means divisions and dissensions. Factions and envy and drunkenness and orgies. Okay? Orgies. What's that like carousing and reveling? How many like going to the Mardi Gras? Don't raise your hand. I was just joking because I would never... She, she always asked, would you ever have a desire to go to New Orleans? I said, heck no. Why? Because what's the first thing that pops in my head? Mardi Gras, and I don't want to be around it. I want to protect my eyes. I don't want to see things that I have to go and pray something off of me after I'm there. It's like, oh, God. Turn your head. Don't want to see these things. And then have weird pizza dreams at night. Except they're, they're Mardi Gras dreams. And they don't come from heaven. They come from hell. Don't want to be around all those devils. They make, please, I just, I'm, a, I'm a homebody. I just stay with my family. Let's watch TV. Okay. All right. Anyways. Notice this. I warn you as I did before. So in other words, this was a consistent thing that the Apostle Paul is already instilling, which is what? Not just chase my anointing. This is part of the discipleship process that you have to live different. You have to have different behavior than what you had before if the transforming work of Jesus is actually alive on the inside of you. He says, I warn you that those who live like this, say live like this. So this is a beautiful thing. Now, we're not suggesting that everybody's perfect, but notice this, those who live like this. In other words, you don't check yourself. Like you think it's okay to behave this way and or you justify it. Notice this, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I don't know about you, I want to inherit the kingdom of God. And I don't want to get into, you know, this whole debate on, in many respects, will not inherit the kingdom of God, is don't think you're going to be effective in the kingdom of God while you're here on earth. Come on, are you here? So I know, I want you to notice, I warned you uh, as I did before. So notice the emphasis. Now what we want to do is I want to show you, this is the obvious ones. This is the baseline. This is coming into the house of God how your behavior should be. And then correspondingly from this, he goes on to talk about the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, and self-control. Against there is no law. So he begins to say, this is what the fruit of the Spirit is. So we can actually judge you by the fruit that you produce within your life, what we're actually commanded by Jesus to do. Come on, are you here? 
And so part of discipleship is bringing people through the process of coming out of Egypt, and then all of a sudden, Egyptian thinking is exposed in the wilderness of discipleship in order for you to get victory so that you can go into your promised land. Because if this is your manner of behavior, when you go into the promised land, you will not be able to be successful in the promised land with old mindsets that come from Egypt when God wanted to deal with them in your soul area. Come on, are you here? Now, let me show you this, because this is the second part, and this is the part I'm going to emphasize even more, because these are the ones that are not so obvious. And I want you to look in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, because we're talking about discipleship. In fact, everything that I just read to you, that should be something that you go through quite quickly. In fact, you could tell people, you need to, you know, if people have issues that you need to meditate on the scripture. For some of you young ones with a fit of rage, you need to meditate in the book of Galatians chapter 5. You need to meditate and really allow the Holy Spirit to do a deep work inside of you of repentance and repenting to other people. Come on, are you here? But here's where we see discipleship in addition to this, not just with your soma or with your body, but also with your soul, say your soul life. It says this, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. So I want you to notice what ends up happening is is Peter here does not like actually what Jesus has just said. Here's what's interesting. This is nearing the end of his life. This isn't at the beginning. In other words, he's not in his first year of internship. He's in his third year of internship. Like he's about to graduate. And here's the irony. It says this, never, Lord, I'll never let this happen to you. What did you just call him? What's a Lord? Someone who's the one who calls the shots. And you're just saying, never, Lord. You should just call him rabbi. Because you can sit there and you can act as a Lord yourself to a rabbi. But that's the whole irony of this. I'm never going to let this happen to you, my Lord. Did Did you even just listen to what you just said? So again... This means he is about to graduate from Bible college, not the first year. He's seen everything. You would have thought, hey, wait a minute. I have to go back three years, go into my notes or into my Spotify playlist back to John the Baptist who said, behold, here's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Uh, Peter, do you remember that? Can you go back in your sermon notebook? Can you go on your Spotify playlist and pull up John the Baptist, all those prophecies? Remember you were following him and all some of my disciples were actually following? Remember when they said, behold, here's the Lamb of God that takes away? Lambs are meant to be slaughtered. Don't you remember this? And for three years, you're like, all of a sudden you're like, no, I'm not going to let this happen to you. Doesn't it beg the question? Well, what was in your mind for this three years? If I'm the Lamb of God, it was all pro- already prophesied three years before. Just look up into your sermon notebook. You'll find it's true. Meditate. It's always amazing that when sermons come, we first interpret it. It's for other people rather than ourselves. 
That's why there's always two types of ameners. Amen! Meaning, that's for you, honey. Instead of amen, oh my goodness, like, oh, that's for me. Most of the time in the church, it's the first type of ameners, the ameners who are amen on behalf of somebody else. Like, did you get that? That was for you. Instead of allowing the word to examine them, and everyone says. So check this out. So he sits there and says, this shall never happen to you. Again, begs the question, what was going through his mind by which he became an obstacle? You want to know why? Because he had his own agenda. Now, he isn't with the obvious works of the flesh manifesting any of those things. What is he? He's full of selfish ambition, which isn't so obvious. In fact, the other disciples are looking at him thinking, wow, Peter's such a good guy. He wants to protect our Jesus. But he had a pretext. He had selfish ambition. He had mixed motivations. He didn't have the things of God in mind. He had, in fact, that's what Jesus goes on to say, begins to rebuke him and begins to say these things to him. Get behind me, Satan. Isn't that interesting? Get behind me, Satan. Why? Because you're full of selfish ambition. So what was going through his mind? You know what was going through his mind. He's thinking, you're the son of David. And as the son of David, you're going to get rid of the Romans. This is why they were even arguing. Remember the scripture where it says they were arguing who is going to become, who is going to sit on the right and left. He walks in and says, hey, what were you talking about? And they're like, uh, nothing. <laughs> what were they thinking? They were thinking not an eschatological end of the age when Jesus comes by. They're thinking that he's actually going to rout the Romans, get rid of them, just like David did the Philistines, and we're going to sit on a political throne. So the whole time that they're doing ministry, the whole time where they're casting out devils, healing sick, Jesus is moving in the spirit. Jesus has said, when these things happen, tell them the kingdom of God. And they're just like thinking, alternatively, no, I'm thinking about getting rid of the Romans. That's why he's carrying a sword. This is why when they come to arrest him, what does he do? And he's like, he thinks he's operating the way God is supposed to. So he has his own ministry agenda. And sometimes in the church, when we come into the church, we have our own ministry agenda. We say, God, this is, this is how I think you should operate. And we sit there and we pute our agenda. And we, like Peter, sit there and say, no, Lord, this isn't going to happen. Are you here? I want you to notice what ends up happening. It says this, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his, is this the same one? Wait, 1621. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hand of the elders, chief priests. Go, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned, watch this, and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You have not in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Did you know the other gospel writer? I forget which one it is. It says that Jesus first looked to his disciples, and then he began to say that. In other words, he wanted his other disciples to witness what he was about to do to him. I don't know. That, that, that doesn't seem like a very nice pastoral lesson right here. I, that's not probably how I would approach it. I'd probably take Peter in private, not in front of everybody, and say, hey, listen, brother, uh, you know, do you remember the sermons that John the Baptist preached? And That's m probably more my pastoral approach, how I would do it. Jesus, the Bible says, he looks at other people and then says, get behind me, Satan. And what was it? He was acting what? Soulishly. Not in the soma, not in the body. And this is the process, okay? 
by which we see. Now, let's look at this right here. When we look at this from that point on, he begins to talk about soul and spirit. Okay, now let's look at it. Mark's narrative includes Jesus looking at his disciples before rebuking him. In Mark chapter 8, verse 33, when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, get behind me, Satan. There wasn't sin of commission. It wasn't a flesh life, but it was a soulish life. Okay, so discipline and discipleship is also an investigation of what your motivations are. And are they godly motivations? And those are the things that can be hidden. Because with Peter, for example, there were these things on the inside of him of selfish motivation. And they were soulish in their natures. They were not spiritual at all. Now, this process of discipleship, okay? If anyone does what? Must deny himself, pick up his cross, and do what? Follow me. The word to deny also means to, to what? Disown. So when Jesus says, deny yourself, he's literally saying, disown. Okay? In fact, that word, to deny, is in Matthew chapter 26, verse 34. The same Greek word, truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will what? Disown me three times. Okay? One says, and one of them, it says that he... He viewed me with a like, a, like a curse. No, I swear, I don't know him. Disown. So in other words, Peter, his idea of I'm going to sit on the throne. When you are confronted with your own soulish ambitions, how do you appropriate the cross? Do you sit there and do you disown those ideas? I've given you the illustration. I came from a triathlon background. I had visions of my life, but they were out of my selfish ambition. So what did I have to do? I have to deny or I have to disown it. I'm no longer. I envisioned myself as running across the line as a triathlete winning the Ironman. I have to disown that vision. Because many times we're looking for visions that come from heaven, but we're not willing to disarm our own that came from us. You do not know how true that is. Pastor, I don't have a vision for my life. Yeah, it's because you haven't disowned your own. You want visions to come from heaven. Listen, the language of the Holy Spirit is dreams and visions. We see that in the book of Acts chapter 2. Your young men and your old men, they shall dream dreams and have visions. So the language of the Holy Spirit is dreams and visions. But you have to disown your own visions. And listen, that is a very difficult within the American culture because we are taught and ingrained, pursue your dream but you never asked was it the dream that god has for you or was it out of your selfish ambition peter right here has his own dream he has his own vision he sees himself sitting on a throne do you see this and again he's about ready to get the certificate of completion i went through the school of jesus not at the beginning He's about to take the, you know, shake the hand, get it, take a picture, and then turn the tassel to the other side. And yet he has his own dream and he has his own vision. Again, not at the beginning. He's advanced. He's a graduate. He's part of the core team. And yet he has his own agenda. 
So this soul life, if you will, okay, this soul life, this suke life is something that we all have to deal with and we all have to grapple with, okay, and applying the cross. So what is it? We deny ourselves, and then also what? After we've denied ourselves, this is where we pick up the cross, which is what? The instrument of death, and everyone says. Now, furthermore, from this point right here, in the book of Luke, chapter 17, verse 32. In fact, I have it here for you. In Luke, chapter 17, verse 32. It says, remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their suke. Suke. This is where we get the word soul. Whoever tries to keep their soul life, like Peter just tried to do, will lose it. And whoever loses their suke life will what? Preserve real life. And this is the way, and this is the process of the kingdom of God. God wants you to disown those things. Now, here's what's interesting. Because in Genesis chapter 19, when you begin to investigate this, and by the way, the way Jesus interpreted this particular passage of Scripture is the right way to interpret it. In Genesis 19, 17, it says, as soon as they had brought them out, this is the family, one of them said, flee for your lives, don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. So notice that Lot's wife is actually saved from destruction. So she did not die. So in other words, she's the one who would have showed up outside and said, woohoo, I was just delivered. Whoa, I was delivered. Oh, hallelujah. Just like they came and they crossed the Red Sea. Woohoo! They're dancing and they're shouting. They're having a good time. They're celebrating on Sunday morning. Lot's wife would have been right there celebrating too herself. So she's actually not part of those who are judged and destroyed. What was her problem? Her soul life. She's not living in carnality like those who were judged in Sodom and Gomorrah. What is she doing? Jesus uses this as an example of doing what? Not looking back to your old life. To behold something by which it can give you vision, but it's not his vision. Do you protect your eyes? What is it that you meditate upon? Because that which you meditate upon, you become. This is why you are the one who has to take personal responsibility of guarding your eye gate. Jesus talked about this. About the, you know, if it's full of light, your whole body's full of light. If it's full of darkness, oh, how deep is that darkness? How great is that darkness? In fact, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, when they had gone... The angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for him and to do what? Kill him. That literally means what it means to lose the life, is to kill that life. Are you here? So in other words, I want you to note the extreme measures that Jesus is actually implementing or desires his, uh, his disciples to implement so that they live in this supernatural life. And I'm afraid so many Christians don't know this life that is available because they're choked out by the cares of the world. 
And because they fail to understand that part of it is doing what? Disowning your old life, your old ideas, and even in the church. And again, we're always dealing with these things until the day we die. This is why Jesus didn't say it was an event. He who desires to come after me must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. He didn't say pick up the cross and then drop it because you've graduated and now you're perfect. There are always areas we're never going to reach perfection until we meet perfection himself. Oftentimes we think in terms of graduations. We never graduate until we see him and we become like him when we behold him. We will be like him in a twinkling of an eye. If we should remain until he comes back, we're going to meet him up in the sky and we're going to be transformed just like him. So until then, we're always going through the process like the disciples were going through. And I want you to notice, isn't that heavy language? We would understand someone being demonized because they're living a life of sin. Of all the things that I outlined in Galatians chapter 5, we would say they opened up the door to sin. That's why the enemy has access. But I want you to take note here. There's no sin. He's living right. I don't see any violation of the Ten Commandments. No open door by which the devil is. But yet Jesus is the one who points to him. One of his graduates who's going to be a leader in the church after three years who doesn't even listen to the sermons of John the Baptist and sits there and says, get thee behind me, Satan. I don't know about you, but I don't know if I'd go and sit in a church with a pastor like that. Just saying, I want you to look at what Jesus is actually saying with some level of gravity of what the requirement is once you have been set free. That we must be a people that disown our own ideas. And everyone says, are you getting something out of this? This term also, again, to deny. So I told you it means to... Uh, disown. It also means to kill. It also means to destroy. In fact, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So this is the mindset of your soul life. Okay. In order to apprehend his life, we must understand that we don't live. And again, this was in full manifestation of Peter. In fact, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 14, but the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might, what? Kill Jesus. Same word, that is there. This term destroyed, Matthew chapter 2, 22, verse 7. The king was enraged and he sent his army and destroyed those murderers who burned the city. Again, that term, to destroy. So it's very heavy language that is used with regards. In other words, don't cater to your soul life. And again, that's contrarian to American philosophy of pursue your own dream. And oftentimes in the church, preaching and sermons accommodate your soul life and actually incubate and try to cultivate your soul life coming alive. And this is why many people don't live in the call of God. Because if I listened to sermons back pre when I wanted to do my triathlons, they would have gave me sermons that said, go, pursue your dreams. But yet God had a call for me that required me to disown that, to kill it and to destroy it. Are you here? I can tell. Listen, sobriety is a good thing. When the Holy Ghost brings, and maybe the Holy Ghost is speaking to some of you that you've lived a very soulish life. You pursued your dream because you didn't know because that's what you are taught. 
But you realize that Peter himself pursued this himself. And what was the consequence? Get thee behind me, Satan. You're trying to obstruct my purpose within the earth. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to obstruct the purpose of Jesus in the earth. I want to yield to what he has for my life. And if that means destroying and killing my own life, disowning my own life, I'm willing to do it for the sake of the gospel. Thankfully, Peter got it by the very end. This is why when he, they went to go persecute him and they went to go crucify him, his response, according to church history, is I am not worthy to die the way my Lord has died. And therefore, they crucified him upside down. He disowned and destroyed his own life. If we had the levels of persecution in the church here in America, what would happen to the, to, to, to the church here in America? What do you think would really happen? I don't know. I think churches would be emptied out. That's my personal opinion on the matter. There's something about suffering and there's something about persecution that actually brings glory into the church. This is why I've said even prior to the whole pandemic thing, I've been saying this, this is actually a good thing because it's exposing the state of the church here in America. What it is that they actually believe in. What is actually being produced in the life of those who call themselves Christians. Do you see the power of God actively bringing transformation to people's life? No, I see two things. The church, the real church, is a remnant church, and it's arising. And I believe we're part of that. But then also, simultaneously, they're going bankrupt, and it's a good thing that they are. Because it was an image of something that was ungodly. And it brought mixture so that people were confused because they see two things. Like, is it this or is it this? Are they heretics or this? No, we're heretics like the early church was. They were called heretics too. We're part of those who all throughout church history were labeled as heretics during their times, but they were celebrated three generations later. We're a part of those who are building what Jesus wants built in our nation, as well as in the nations of the world. But it requires a different type of people with a different type of thinking that are willing to disown, destroy, and to kill their own ideas for the sake of the gospel. And when you disown those things and all those dreams and all those things that that's part of your plan B, but never part of your plan A, because part of the plan A of the kingdom is you disown and you kill those ideas. And I can tell you from personal experience of someone who had his own dreams, it's the best decision that I ever made in my life. I tried my very best to be able to articulate the life that is available when you follow his dream for your lives rather than your dreams for your life. Come on, are you here? In order to have the power of God in our life, this is the process of discipleship that we must go through. And it's not just, you know, live a nice life by which you don't sin with the obvious uh, 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 works of the flesh. No, it's about Jesus coming to you with your ideas that don't seem to be sin. Again, I want to emphasize the disciples around him would have thought, wow, Peter's really a good usher. He's a good lead usher. I mean, he's sitting there and he's pretending like, no, you have to go through me first. I mean, that's a guy I want next to me. Yet Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. And he did it publicly in front of them. Why? Because he understood in order to have the life of the kingdom, there are certain things that need to be disowned within my life. A graduate of the school of Jesus had to go through this, again, not at the beginning, but at the very end. 
how much more do we have to grapple ourselves by the power of the Spirit? Make no mistake, it's done by the power of the Spirit. By the Spirit, we put to death these things. And correspondingly, also with our soul life, we put to death and we disown and we destroy those things that they may not have life in me, but that I may have life in him. And everyone says, did you get something out of that? Why don't you stand to your feet? Praise and worship team, you may come up. Praise God. Father, we thank you and we bless you and we glorify you. Just lift up your hands as an act of surrender before him. We want this to be kind of a symbolic act that when you lift up your hands, you're saying, Lord, the obvious works of the flesh, we don't participate. They're obvious. But there may be indeed areas within your life in which it's your soul life that gives expression. And you've been trying to do things by your own power, trying to make it work for you. For some, it may be those things outlined in the book of Galatians. In fact, with every head bowed, every eye closed, you say, Pastor, I'm part of that first group that's here. When you began to read off some of those things, fits of rage, all these other things, Pastor, I need help in these areas. I want to surrender in these areas. If that's you, I want you to lift up your hand right now. With every, every, I told you all to lift up your hands, so put your hands down. Because <laughs> I'm not going to pray for all of you. <laughs> so put your hands down. If that's you, you say, Pastor, in this area, I need help. Lift up your hand right now. All across the room, we got people. Praise God, hands down. Father, right now, we just lift them up to you. Father, we thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit that brings conviction in their life. So let your fire come upon them right now, Holy Spirit. We release your anointing over them right now where there may be areas of bondage where the enemy had access. We break the power of the enemy over even as they've lifted up their hand and requested and became transparent before you by the lifting of the hand. We pray, Holy Spirit, come upon them. Loose them in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Holy Spirit, where the enemy had access. His power is broken over their life right now in the name of Jesus. Let your fire come. Let your fire come. Fire, fire, fire. Fire of the Spirit of God. We thank you, Spirit of God. We thank you, Spirit of God. Thank you, Jesus. You say, Pastor, there are areas in my life, it's not sin issues, it's not the obvious things, but there are certain things inside of me. I don't feel like I have a dream that has come from the Lord. I've been kind of spinning my life, and maybe there are areas in which the Holy Spirit pinpoint to you that you're like Peter. You have your own idea and your own agenda. And while I was preaching about Peter, you're like, I just now realize I'm actually a Peter. I have my own vision for my own life. And the Holy Spirit was convicting you that no, this isn't the dream for your life. If that is you, I want you to lift up your hand right now. We have a few, quite a few of you. Father, again, we just thank you for these that are here that lifted up their hand and they're acknowledging 
that even as Peter needed correction to be brought into his life because he was trying to push forth his agenda. I thank you, Spirit of God, for those that lifted up their hand. And we pray right now, Spirit of God, that even as they begin to disown and they begin to implement those things that were preached about destroying, killing your own dream, we thank you, Holy Spirit, correspondingly what you will do as you begin to give them fresh vision in the name of Jesus. In fact, if that's you, I want you to come forward right now. Come forward right now. Come forward quickly. It's 1026. We want to wrap this up quickly. If that's you, for that second one, come up close just give me enough room to walk by in the front come up as close as you can thank you Jesus Father again we just thank you and we bless you and we glorify you for those that have come forward and I pray Spirit of God let dreams and visions come from heaven dreams and visions 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 that come from heaven in the name of Jesus. Dreams and visions from heaven. Fresh dreams. Vision. Love you, brother. That was it right there. That was it right there. That was it. That was it. That was it right there. That was it right there. Yeah, right there. In the name of Jesus. Father, we again we thank you and we bless you. Where there is brokenness, we thank you you're bringing healing into those areas. And even where there was broken dreams. Indeed, they were dreams, but they were broken. We thank you that you're going to bring resurrection life into those areas where you thought, no, this can't happen. The Spirit of God says, yes, it can. So I just thank you and I bless you. Yes, that was it. That was the presence right there. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Dreams and visions from heaven. Dreams and visions from heaven. Dreams and visions from heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Let the pray. Go ahead. Let your dreams and visions be released. Let your dreams and visions be released. Oh, be released. In the name of Jesus. Be released. In the name of Jesus. Fresh vision. Fresh In the name of Jesus. Be free, Adam.
Thank you, Jesus. Father, again, we thank you and we bless you. We glorify you. There's none like you in the heavens or in the earth. We thank you, Spirit of God. We thank you. We thank you and we bless you and we glorify you. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you. We thank you and we bless you. We bless you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You guys just continue to play. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your presence. As they go forth, we thank you that as they're released, we thank you that they'll behold the dreams that come from heaven. We thank you for your work. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone says, and everyone says. Put your arms around you. Squeeze real tight. That's a hug from Pastor Robert. People are still receiving ministry, but you're free to be released. Just keep playing. so much for watching if you enjoyed this message and wish to support our ministry the various ways to give are in the description below if you're watching on facebook be sure to like our page and if you're watching on youtube be sure to subscribe to our channel and hit that notification bell so you'll know when we go live also you can check out our podcasts on your favorite streaming apps so you can listen on the go the link is in the description below feel free to share this message and any others with your friends and family have a great week, everyone, and we'll see you next time. Bye. You're listening to the Freedom House Podcast. We're a house that will empower you in your walk with Christ to get free, live free, and set others free. This is our Sunday service series. For more information, go to FHUS.org. Enjoy. Enjoy.